0: This episode is part of a series where I interview experts on various areas around mental health. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help now, call 000, Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 anytime for support and advice. Experiencing a traumatic event or a traumatic moment can have a Long-lasting impact on someone's life. That could be because of the industry or the profession that you work in, um, or it could be something that's occurred in your life. Today, I've invited Danielle Bulldog onto the show to talk about navigating life after trauma. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's um, you know when I was doing some research on on yourself and on your background as well, um, I saw that you've you're very involved in this area, and there's there's a bit of background to as to why you do that, and there's also a organization that you've set up called Soldiers and Sirens. Um, can you maybe start by just talking a bit about your background and soldiers and sirens and for those that haven't heard about it?
1: Sure. So I started off uh, well, actually, I started off going to university out of school and not really knowing what to do with myself. Um and as I went through an arts degree, because that looked fun, I realized that I really loved psychology. And so I took on more and more psychology units um, and ended up graduating with a Bachelor of Psychology. And then I wasn't really sure what to do with it at first. Um but my my dad was a RAF psych, so a Royal Australian Air Force Psychologist, and so I was thinking about, you know, could I do something similar? It's funny now because at the time I thought I don't really want to join the military, Um, so I joined the WA Police instead. Originally I went into recruiting and I said, oh, I want to be a criminal profiler, Uh, and they told me there's not enough crime in Perth for that, so I joined up as an officer instead. I served for six years in WA Police and my last the last place I was, was as a police prosecutor in the magistrate's court, which I absolutely loved. But I got out because my last position in prosecuting was as the drug court prosecutor. And drug courts are really unique therapeutic court in which people have six months to 12 months to turn their lives around. So these are people who've you know, committed offences in which drugs were part of those offences. So they might have, you know, stolen, taken people's credit cards, done burglaries, all sorts of things to finance their drug habits. And so this court was about them pleading guilty and then taking time to see what they could achieve with the court's help in that time and then at the end their sentence which might have been custodial might uh, change to a community-based order or something like that because they were now I saw people get back into the workplace I saw people start studying I saw people get their families and their children back together I saw people start playing sport all sorts of amazing things with the assistance of the court and I thought this is what I want to do Uh, in my life with my psychology degree and now my experience as a police officer, I want to do something else. So I got out of the police um, wanting to use my psychology degree and I started working at the Sexual Assault Resource Centre, which is a good kind of bridge between policing and psychology because I was still interacting with lots of police uh, and looking after victims of sexual assault and sexual abuse. And I am still there. So started working there in 2008 and I'm still there now. During that period of time, I worked at lots of different places, um, all, I guess, related to to crime, to trauma and to those organisations that respond to those things. So police, I went back as a psychologist into the health and safety unit there. I went and became the manager of victim support and child witness service in the courts and lots of different, different jobs like that. And eventually ended up as the soldier on psychologist where I was seeing lots and lots of police officers. And I also got to start seeing veterans and current serving military personnel. And while I understood the policing experience, I didn't really understand the military experience. And so I joined the army. Yeah, really absolutely love working with that population of people who've served, having served myself and still serving. Uh, but what I saw was that while the military has great services, they've got a Department of Veteran Affairs to fund the things that they need, they have Open Arms, which is a national counselling service, the police, fire and ambulance didn't have a service that was specific to them And we kept on hearing stories from people about how they went to a civilian psychologist and they tried to share their trauma but they were told that the person wasn't qualified to help them uh, or that the clinician cried when they told one of the stories they thought was the least traumatic. And as people who serve their community and their country, the last thing they want to do when they've been protecting the community is harm the community with their trauma. So myself and another police, ex-police officer, Daniel Bates, we decided we needed to do something about this. And at the time as well, there was a lot of police uh, suicides happening across the country. And we just thought this has to stop. We have to do something about this. So, Initially, we just started a Facebook page to see if anybody would be interested in this concept. And uh, we got lots and lots and lots of followers all of a sudden and we realised how big the demand was out there in the community. So we set ourselves up properly as a not-for-profit charity. We got a board, um, all of the things that you need to do. And we got a federal government grant as well and we hired some other current and ex-serving people and we started looking after mental health and also health as well and well-being of these, these um, special communities. Um, and in addition, we added corrections officers into that community because we realised that they're the forgotten front line. So, we don't really hear about them much in the media. I think the general public wants to pretend that once people are in prison, that they've disappeared. Um, uh, but they see just as much, just as many horrific incidents as our police officers and our, our military personnel.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, so it sounds like it's it's your it's your work experience um, combined with your your work experience. So your 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 work experience combined with your education. That's. Yes sort of probably pushed you towards this particular topic because, like, you know, you've got a Bachelor of Psychology, you're currently a therapy manager at the uh, Marion Centre, you're a registered psychologist, and there's that and, and there's also the experiences of talking um, to, to people that have, have have suffered traumatic events. And I think that's so, – so really, it's from your point of view, you're not just coming at it from a from an educational perspective, you're coming at it from a life experience point of view. Which I think is so so powerful because when when someone is going through you know, when someone's suffering PTSD, you could do you could have ten degrees under your belt and you could have read the best books, but unless you've actually been in that scenario or experienced at least similar things to that person, it, it's so hard to relate to it. Um, to, to those that you know probably have heard of PTSD um, but don't really understand what it actually is. Can you maybe give a little bit of context around PTSD and um, some of its characteristics?
1: Sure. And what you say also about lived experience I think is 100% accurate and lived experience peer workers are the next thing that's coming into mental health and I'm really excited to see it because – you just build instant rapport with people and you really understand what they're talking about where they've come from and you have a shared language as well, which is amazing. In psychology world, when we have to make a diagnosis and this is for uh, you know doctors, psychiatrists, some psychologists make diagnoses, um, there's two different, I you don't know what you would call them, but there's two different ways of doing that. Uh, the one that we use in Australia is the DSM-5 which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, comes from America. And we also have the ICD-10 is the alternate version. PTSD in the ICD-10 is much gentler, but we don't use that one in Australia. So PTSD in the DSM-5 is in the Traumatic Disorders category. Uh, And there's different criterion that you have to meet in order to get that diagnosis. So some people have a lot of the symptoms, but when they go to their psychiatrist, um, they might not, you know, may not quite meet criteria. So that's important to know as well. So the first one, criterion A, is about the trauma itself. And it has to be exposure to death, threatened death, or um, actual or threatened serious injury or actual or threatened sexual violence. And it has to have happened to the person themselves, so they directly were exposed to that. They witnessed it. So um, you can imagine in some of the conflict zones that we've had that Australian soldiers or uh, sailors and airmen may have witnessed things happening. And not being able to engage because of their rules of engagement at the time. Um, Learning that a relative or a close friend was exposed to the trauma um, or indirect exposure because of your professional duties. So, this is where police, paramedics, firefighters, um, prison officers are exposed and often. In civilian world, somebody might have had one thing happen, so they might have had a sexual assault or they might have had a car crash. Uh, But with first responders and military, what we see is a cumulative effect of these day after day after day. So that's criterion A. You have to have that for the diagnosis of PTSD. The next thing that happens is that our brains are wired for survival. So if something bad happens to us, We, our brains say, right, I need to remember this. It's important because it might help me survive if I ever see something similar. So what happens then is our brains remind us about that traumatic thing. And part of it is trying to process what happened and make sense of it because often when something traumatic happens to us, our senses are completely overwhelmed and we're uh, acting on instinct and we're not laying down memories in a nice chronological order so we might have uh, a tiny you know flash of an image or we might have a sound we remember or a smell or something like that so we might have flashes of things in traumatic memory and they might not be nicely in a story so our brain is trying to put things into a story so that it can put it away into our memory bank but because the thing was traumatic we don't want to think about it Um, And the intrusion symptoms could be uh, memories, could be nightmares, could be flashbacks, um, also uh, physical reactivity and emotional distress. So sometimes people have internal triggers as well that happen. So we have these intrusion things going on. And of course, that makes us feel awful because we don't want to think about the trauma in the first place. Then our brain's trying to help us process it by reminding us all the time. So of course, the natural thing to do is avoid, which is criterion C, which is avoidance. Um, And it means we start avoiding anything that reminds us about that trauma. So it might be people, places and things, but it could also be emotions, thoughts. Um, And what happens as well in our brain is that we generalize out. So say in in the trauma, there was a guy wearing a red hat. Then every time we see a red hat, our brain will go on high alert and say, "Oh my gosh, is that traumatic thing going to happen to us again?" So that's where we, you know, we generalize out. We might have um, triggers that maybe don't make sense at first. You can also have internal triggers or body triggers where you might move your arm in a certain way and suddenly you get a flashback, and you you don't, in conscious memory, connect that you moved your arm in that way during the trauma, but your body remembers. Um, And all this is just, you know, pretty exhausting and pretty awful. So criterion D is that we get negative alterations in cognition and mood. So that means the way we think about ourselves, the world and other people starts to get quite negative. Um, And also we feel pretty bad. Um, and because we're avoiding, we start isolating ourselves away from other people. We avoid the things that used to, you know, give us joy and make us happy because there might be people there, there might be triggers there, and we're really exhausted as well. Um, and people often it, start to struggle with feeling any positive emotions. I think part of it is that when we need to shut down anger and fear, then we get what we call restricted emotional range. So we lose those negative emotions so that we can cope and function day to day. But what happens is we lose the positive ones too, like excitement and joy and love, which is really difficult. Um, And that's where it's also, you know, while the person experiencing all of this is feeling awful, their family and friends watching this is also, you know, starting to get really worried um, seeing all of this going on. And then um, because our body's on high alert for danger, it's in permanent fight flight mode potentially, then we feel pretty irritable um, and aggressive because we're jumpy, um, easily startled, looking for threats and getting ready to fight them or to run away. So there's that hypervigilance, the heightened startle reaction. And of course, if your brain is on fight flight and it's looking for danger and trying to keep itself safe, you can't concentrate. So people often report difficulties with memory, difficulties with focus, and difficulties sleeping. And if you think about it, that makes sense because if you're in a dangerous situation, the last thing you want to do is go to sleep because that's not going to keep you safe. So really people struggle with sleep. Um, and it's very, very difficult to uh, look after our sleep.
0: And in, in, also, I mean, you mentioned avoidance. And, you know, and t- to me, I think, you know, something from because I've, talking to people and some clients that have suffered, you know, that have suffered and still suffer, you know, P- PTSD, they do avoid things that give them joy and make them happy. and And, and just like, I guess, you can say, in any any mental illness, but especially PTSD. It's one of those things where it tends to have a bit of a snowball effect, doesn't it? Because yeah. if it's not managed well, um, it can just get worse and worse yeah. and escalate and, you know, other issues can start coming up like, you know, lack yeah. of – that can come from, you know, lack of social interaction, et cetera.
1: Um, and it is such a complex thing and it all feeds into itself as well.
0: With the appreciation that every situation is different and every person's circumstance is different, um, can I ask how do you approach PTSD uh, when you're talking to somebody? Um, whether it's a you know an existing um, patient or a new patient, how would you how do you approach it, and what are some strategies that you can share to those listening to this that might be might either they either know somebody that would benefit from it or or they would personally benefit from it.
1: So the first thing I tell people is that PTSD is a superpower, which is a bit controversial sometimes and people look at me funny. But uh, some of the people I've said it to, it's been absolutely life-changing because they've been suffering with PTSD and trying to run away from it, trying to stop it from happening and getting more and more miserable as they try to fight it off. So I like to kind of compare it to... Uh, and I use a lot of DC Marvel comics in my therapy, is to think about Spider-Man when he first gets his powers and, you know, he's got web shooting out of his hands, he doesn't know how to control it, he's getting stuck to the ceiling and falling off buildings and all of those sorts of things. Um, And I tell people that PTSD is the same. So it's a functional adaptation that turned up to keep you alive. And if you think about it that way, do you know it uh, kept you alive in combat, it keeps you alive out on the street, it keeps you alive in prison, it keeps you alive in whatever circumstance you need it because it keeps you aware and alert so you know where your threats are, you know where your exits are, You your body is ready to run, to climb, to fight, all of those things and the parts of your brain that aren't required at that moment, such as, you know, doing abstract thinking, uh, communicating with other people, those sorts of functions get shut down and you're running on instinct. So it was a really important thing. It wouldn't let you go to sleep, you know, all of that stuff. So if we think about it that way, think about it as a friend and try to make friends with it, Sometimes it just takes that pressure off people, and they start thinking about it in a different, more positive way. The other part of it is that uh, I often make people watch the movie Venom. If you've seen that, which is you know this big scary alien dude that's inside this mild mannered journalist, and he comes out and he's really, really destructive. You know, he destroys the entire place, but. He also keeps that guy safe, right? So when the bad guys come, Venom comes out and he keeps him safe. But where Venom's not helpful is when he tries to go to a restaurant or when he tries to go on a date, you know, these sorts of things. He's out of control um, and he's too big and too destructive. And so I'm talking to people about there's this great, you know, amazing superpower you now have with this unimaginable power. However... We have to learn to turn it down um, when we don't need it, and people start can then start taking control. Like, okay, that makes more sense. I've got this, you know, this guy that's turning up to help me and look after me, but it's not helpful when I'm sitting on the couch, you know, trying to watch TV with my kids or pay attention to my friend's conversation. So that's how we start
0: to look at it. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a free fifteen minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au Yeah, I, I love that. I, I like that you and I haven't seen the movie Venom, by the way, but I will watch it now because
1: Yeah
0: <laughs> I mean I know who Venom is. Like yeah. It's that dark character with the with the teeth. I think I know who Venom is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the teeth, with the, the teeth sticking out. Yeah.
1: Um
0: but um yeah, I love that you that you come at it from that from that approach as a superpower. Um because yeah, Spider-Man when he first got his powers, I was just watching it the other day with the kids, like he's confused, doesn't know what's going on. Um, and it's that functional adaption that turned up to to in his case, initially it wasn't to keep him alive, but it, it literally kept him alive after that. Yeah. You know, and because yeah, when you when someone is in combat and on the street and in prison and there's that, you know, obviously that staying aware, staying alert um it would, it's it's mentally draining like in any situation actually staying aware and alert yeah. so i think and this is why i think those that haven't gone through something like that and haven't experienced a traumatic event like they, they can't relate to it including me you know um mm-hmm. you know I, I can't relate to what you've what, what you what you see on a regular basis at all um so you know coming at from a coming at it from a respectable point of view obviously um i'm just my, my job is to try to um, to try to understand it, and um, and I think it's it's people like yourself, Danielle, that you know, with the work that you do with soldiers and sirens, that gives that support. Because you were telling me when we we, we talked the other day that it's not something that's readily available, um, and it's and it's not it's it, what you offer through the charity um, is very very different to many, many other organizations, if any.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the biggest thing we find is that, you know, when you serve in those uh, organizations, it's all about team. It's all about the effort that you you have together. So you look Mm. after each other, you know, you watch each other's backs, you're reliant on each other to keep each other alive. And mostly we don't get in those sorts of situations as civilians, you know. (laughs) That's a very unusual place to be. And what happens when uh, people get out of those jobs is that civilian society doesn't really work like that. So most workplaces, you know, you go to work as as an individual person and you might have friends and colleagues, but it's not like that. It's not that high risk kind of situation in which you really have to absolutely to your core, trust the people that you're working with because your life depends on it, that gives you this incredible bond for life. And when people get out of those organisations, what happens is that the PTSD tells them to stay away from everyone. It tells them that they're a burden. It tells them that they're dangerous to other people. And often I find people um, from these communities are scared of themselves and that's part of the isolation and so the, the big important thing that Soldiers and Sirens does is it gives people the opportunity to join a community again and a community of like-minded people that are used to working in teams, that have similar values, that understand what it means to be in a life and death situation and run towards the danger instead of away from it and that really close bond that you get. It's, you know, people bond like family it's really interesting, and they do it fast as well.
0: And and also, are there any examples that um, that you can share? Um, and obviously, without getting into detail, but of situations where some you've, there's somebody that you saw um, that you were helping that really didn't think that they would overcome the situation, you know, overcome the trauma at all, and they didn't even think it was possible for them to. To, to get back to the life that they wanted to get back to um, where through working with them and even through your charity, um, or whether it's through the charity or whether it's through the, the the other work that you do, you are able to help that person navigate the the trauma.
1: Lots and lots of people come to mind, which is lovely. And I think my favorite thing to see is when people make it through their journey and start giving back to the people on their way. That's my absolute favourite thing. So what happens I guess as well is um, people join our community. Some people are are well, they just come to socialise or come to volunteer and then some people are really unwell and people have told me how absolutely terrified they were to come and see me the first day or uh, my other fabulous um, therapists that I had and peer workers and wellness people um, that they were terrified they can't remember the drive there they thought there was no hope um, and sometimes I've had people six sessions later who were better um, but I've had people who have taken five years um, and are still on their way and that's okay as well and I think um everybody's different and everybody's you know path to recovery is going to be different and everybody needs different things and different people to get there in the end and I also want people to know that if you're unwell you are still a constructive member of society you're still part of our community and you still have a lot to offer um and we you know we want you to be here and be part of our family
0: and I think as well, it's it, when, you know, cause I'm I'm a mental health first aider, you know, so it's, I, I, I've got some very limited training um, on this area, but one of the, the, the worst things that you can say to someone um, going through any mental event is to get over it, you know, or to to just turn the switch and ah, you'll be right or just, you know, ignore it or just, it's like if somebody has a fear of spiders, for example, you can't, just tell that person stop being scared of spiders, and it's not that easy no. for them mentally to tell themselves, "Ah, oh, spiders—they're not going to hurt me." That, that that they can't help how they feel because, like what you said earlier, it's um, th- their mind is telling them one thing, but their body is telling them something else. Because, and it's it's, it's 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 storing that memory, which which is is the struggle, and and I think you know going back to what we said at the start, you know the the lived experiences, the the passion and the love for what you do. Um, and being part of that community, um, I mean, yeah, you, you can't, you can't put that into words, can you?
1: No, it's it's absolutely amazing, and I've seen, um, I've got so many different people in my head that I am thinking about, but people you wouldn't recognize years later, you know, people wow. who were drinking, um, maybe the perpetrators of domestic violence who were, you know, um, making attempts on their life self-harming, and then three, four years later, completely different person, like amazing, amazing change. Um, yeah, it's incredible to see, and it's it's on, it's up to those people. So it's not me doing anything magic. Um, I have some psych information that I know, but they know themselves best. They know what works and what doesn't and some of the things I say are going to be helpful and they can take them on board and start actioning them and some of them aren't some of them might not relate to them and that's all right as well and it's that real uh partnership between the therapist um or the community or um and I think that's the other thing it it could be anybody it doesn't have to be a mental health professional it could be a fabulous friend it could be a partner it could be you know, a community sporting club, who knows, but it's something that helps that person um, move forward and keep going. And I think as well um, the biggest thing I see is when people take ownership and responsibility for their own recovery, that's when everything changes. Um, As soon as people are like, do you know what, I'm going to get better. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know what I'm going to need but I'm going to do it. That's when I see like huge, huge shifts. It's amazing. Um, And people get really stuck for uh, lots and lots of different reasons. And it's not, it's not their fault. That's just where they are at that particular time. And the more I work in mental health and in inpatient settings as well, the more I, I see like, do you know what? Sometimes people aren't ready. And no amount of therapy or reassurance or medication or anything is gonna get them over the line and start what they need to do because they're not there yet. And hopefully they will get there, and then we can provide all of the information and all of the services. Um, and I think that's the really scary bit is when people aren't ready and they think that there's only one way out, and uh, that's that's what we wanna wanna prevent. Um, And the community is protective, I think, of that. And that's where we can prevent uh, suicide is by making people feel like they're really part of a community, they're really welcomed, they're integral to it and really important to that community because when people feel like they're a burden uh, and they feel like they don't belong, that's when people start going down that pathway.
0: And if somebody feels like they are ready, or, or, or they don't, but they want to talk to someone or they want to, to seek help, what would be the first step or one of the first steps that you'd suggest that person can take?
1: So I think it's anywhere that people feel safe to say, I'm not all right and I need some help and I don't know what to do next. So like I say, it doesn't have to be a psychologist. It could be um, they talk to their doctor first. It could be that they talk to their partner, to a mate, uh, ring a helpline go to church, you know, go to their sporting club, like wherever it is, it doesn't matter. Um, Go somewhere to say, I need help. And if you don't get it there, then try somewhere else. I think that's the thing. Uh, And, you know, Soldiers and Sirens is always there. We've got various ways of getting in contact with us so that we can point people in the right direction because the mental health system is sometimes really difficult to navigate. There's lots and lots of services out there and, um, you know, it's hard to know what you might need. Do you need referrals? How much are things going to cost? Where do you go? How do you start? And that stuff's really overwhelming when you're already at capacity trying to manage your PTSD or your depression or your anxiety or your OCD or whatever's happening to you or just your life crises because sometimes it isn't a diagnosable condition, sometimes stuff just happens to us. You know, people die, people lose their jobs, um, people's houses catch on fire, all sorts of horrendous things. Global pandemics happen, you know, and sometimes we don't feel very good about things and that's okay as well. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. In fact, it means everything's working perfectly.
0: The way it should be working. Yeah, And uh, Danielle, if somebody wants to get in contact with yourself or Soldiers and Sirens, and if they want to support Soldiers and Sirens, um, how can they do that?
1: So we're on Facebook is probably the place that we are the most because our demographic tends to be kind of 30 to 70-year-old, mostly males but lots of females as well um, from those serving communities. So Facebook's kind of the place that we are. Uh, We're also on Instagram though. I'm on LinkedIn, um, Soldiers and Sirens is on LinkedIn, but most of our content is um, on my LinkedIn, so Danielle Baldock. We've got a website, which is www.soldiersandsirens, all spelt out, which has uh, links back to Facebook to our events and some information about the board and things like that. Uh, you can also contact me at the Marion Centre, so it's Danielle.Baldock, B-A-L-D-O-C-K, at aurorahealth.com.au if people are needing inpatient admission or if they would like to um, find out what sort of groups we have at the Marion Centre and do some group therapy that's a possibility or just if people want to get in contact um, and find places around Perth where they can get um, really good quality counselling individual one-on-one Or if they're looking to get involved in ex-serving organisations, there's some fabulous groups out there. So Soldiers and Sirens also collaborates with people, uh, organisations like Buddy Up, um, which is um, a military and first responder run. They do sport, they do community things, they do volunteering. So they do lots of different things. It's not mental health specific, but it, it helps everybody's mental health. So they're an amazing organization, um, and we collaborate with many other organizations as well. and And we're talking to them all the time. And um, we had a, you know, some great forums and things recently as well, where we're all collaborating together. So there's a big network out there. It's just starting, you know, finding a, a door to open, and then finding everything else from there.
0: Yeah, and also if anyone's listening to this, that. Um... Can offer funding as well or know somebody that can help um to 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 always to to also you know to to touch base as well Danielle just to support you and and the team for the the amazing work that you do
1: definitely so we we'd had a federal government grant from the department of communities which was very generous and allowed us to to start up and have an office and run a service Uh, unfortunately with COVID, like many things, uh, that grant came to an end and doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and a lot of the funding out there is for various different mental health-related things, but there's no funding for first responder mental health. Just, just I think, um, not thought of as a special population at the moment. Um, and a lot of businesses were struggling and couldn't help us either. Um, We ran on, you know, Medicare rebates and DVA as much as we could, but we wanted our service to be free because we didn't want anyone to feel like that was a barrier to getting help, and we wanted people to be able to pick up the phone and get an appointment, you know, within the week, which we did, Um, but uh, it was difficult. There was we had five staff, so we've we've moved the the psychology service of Soldier and Sirens into the Marion Centre. Um, but like I say, we still have lots and lots of links to many different organisations and, um, and therapy services as well that can help. And so Soldiers and Sirens, I guess, has evolved now where that community, which we realised from talking to our members is, is the most important thing, is um, that's what we're going to be really focusing on now is how do we provide opportunities to join our community so we have coffee catch-ups at various locations on various days and they're facilitated by our volunteers who are all current and ex-serving members themselves um, and have had lived experience of mental health as well as uniform service We have uh, the Soldiers and Siren Shield, which is an ice hockey match between first responders and armed services every year, which is um, just such a great atmosphere and it's one of those events where lots and lots of people come from all over Perth and sometimes that's the yearly kind of catch-up is in that ice hockey crowd, which is awesome. Um, We also have the WA Services Cup, which is a powerlifting competition between all the different services um absolutely amazing just spirit in that room um I am a bodybuilder I've never been to powerlifting until I started going to the WA Services Cup and Sam Murphy puts that on for us and he's a Navy veteran and just a really kind soul and um runs the Power Pit in Rockingham and they have this just amazing culture of inclusivity, of um, looking after each other, encouraging each other, and to go to a competition where people were giving each other tips and tricks to do better lifts even though they were competing was just such an amazing, beautiful thing to see. So highly recommend that event whether you want to lift heavy things around or not. Um, we've also had um, Evan Jackson from Homicide Squad This uh, put on some creative well-being workshops. So we did woodworking and Aboriginal art and um, I can't remember all of them, but lots of different um, art. And we had art teachers rather than art therapists. So again, it was not specifically about mental health, but it, it, it helps people's mental health at the same time.
0: And just, yeah, and just interacting with each other and just, you know, building that community that you talked about, which um, um, I can tell you're so passionate about as well.
1: Yeah. It's just such a lovely community to be a part of too. And I love that, like I always say, you can be unwell and still welcomed where, you you know, you might feel ostracised or ashamed in other places in the world. You can come to our community and you'll just be welcomed. Um, and you can be well too. so you might not have ever experienced mental health um, mental ill health, but you want to just hang out with people who've served in uniform and we also encourage that too.
0: It's just to hang out yeah and have a laugh.
1: And I think that reduces the stigma because nobody knows you know when you turn up whether you're well or not and it doesn't matter to us really. We just want you to be there.
0: Yeah that's so true. Thank you Danielle. It' it's, um it's been a very very insightful um episode it's uh, i mean again like it's i think many people listening to this will either i have learned a lot um can either relate uh, or even partially potentially or would know somebody that would probably benefit from listening to this episode and um, i encourage everyone listening to this to support soldiers and sirens and to help spread the word um and uh yeah and it really means a lot danielle that you've made the time for today um, lastly, with all my episodes, I like to finish off with a dad joke. Perfect. And uh, this one's one of my favorite ones, actually. But how do celebrities stay cool?
1: How?
0: They have lots of fans.
1: <laughs> nice, nice. Lots of fans, <laughs>
0: <laughs> which I'm sure you do in the community. Um, and I know you do because I've
1: – Our community has many excellent dad jokes because oh, a lot good, of – good, good. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, honestly, if I was in Perth, I'd definitely be there. Because uh, I've got a couple I can share. Um, my son got me a book recently um, with dad jokes, and it's it's good. I never remember them, but it's I love pumping them out and dropping them randomly when they come to mind. But uh, but no, thank you, Danielle. Again, really appreciate your time. And um, it's uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll put the um, link to the uh, t- to your website in the description of this episode as well, so that people can click on that and visit it straight from there. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Sharing More Than The Sheets. Please make sure you subscribe to be updated with future episode releases and feel free to share this episode with any friends or family that you think it might benefit. Please visit us at sharingmorethanthesheets.com.au to submit questions or requests for future podcast topics. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au.